Hey everyone, this is Adam Bergman, founder and CEO of Irie Financial. Welcome to another episode of AdBits, where I will be sharing bits of knowledge about self-directed retirement. If you want to learn more, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on social media. Just search IRA Financial. Hi, this is Adam Bergman. On today, AdBits, I'm going to talk about prohibited transaction rules, which are probably the most important rules you need to know about if you're thinking about using retirement money to invest in alternative assets. So AdBits is a new slash educational podcast that uh, I'm excited about. It's really uh, geared towards alternative asset retirement investors who are looking for some nuggets or add bits of information on specific topics surrounding retirement accounts, alternative assets, investments, taxes, and the like. So I'm excited about it um, and really thrilled to be able to talk prohibited transactions. Uh, believe it or not, I think it's kind of a cool area because it um, is kind of like a puzzle. You get to kind of figure out where you think the IRS would go with some of this. So just by way of background, the prohibited transaction rules were put in the code when you know IRAs were uh, essentially created. Um, it's there to protect the distribution rules. The idea is without the prohibited transaction rules, people would just be able to give their IRA or 401ks to their parents, children, their spouse, and never pay any tax, right? Why would that matter? Well, with an IRA or 401k, pre-tax IRA, pre-tax 401k, you pay tax on what you pull out. Under 59 and a half, tax and 10% penalty. Over 59 and a half, tax. When you hit 72, the new required minimum distribution rules, you have to take out a little bit each year, which is called the required minimum distribution. So the idea behind these prohibited transaction rules is that if they didn't protect the tax nature of the investment, then everyone who reached the age of 70, 71 would just start giving or gifting the money to their parents, their children, their spouse. And guess what? When they hit 72, there'd be nothing left and they'd pay no tax. So they'd probably just give it to their kids, right? Because the kids are young and then they have more time to grow. And ultimately, no one would ever pay tax on this money because the IRA or 401k account would be zeroed out at 72. So the prohibited transactions are important. The IRS is serious about prohibited transaction rules. If you violate these rules, your IRA gets essentially destroyed or blown up on the date or January 1 of the year you screw up and trigger these rules and you'll pay tax and potentially 10 to 100% penalty depending on the IRS and the level of abuse. So they're not that difficult. There's really three things you can't do. Internal Revenue Code Section 408 says you can't buy life insurance. And number two, you can't buy collectibles, which are defined as art, stamps, baseball cards, collectible cars. Um, and there's an exception or a carve out for precious metals. So pure gold, silver, palladium, bullion, 0.999% quality, or American Eagle or bullion coins are not considered collectibles and are permitted to be purchased in 
an IRA or 401k. However, they must be held in the physical possession of a U.S. trustee, which is essentially a depository or bank. So obviously you may be thinking if you heard about checkbook control, well, can I hold these coins or metals in a safe deposit box in the name of an LLC? The answer is, I don't know. There's no guidance. All the tax code said or says is you cannot hold or you have to hold, I should say, metals or bullion in the physical possession of a U.S. trustee. So clearly, if you hold them in your house, you fail that requirement because you're not in the physical possession of a bank or depository. But what about a safe deposit box? Not really known because you can make the argument that physically the gold is in the bank because it's in a safe deposit box in a bank. And that's what the code says. It doesn't say constructive ownership or constructive control, meaning you have the keys to the safe deposit box and so you technically control it and you're not obviously in the bank versus, yeah, the gold or the coins are in the bank, so it satisfies the letter of the provision. There's no guidance. The safest bet is hold it at a depository. So that's section 408. Now let's spend a few minutes, uh, really the bulk of uh, the remaining uh, minutes of this AdBit podcast on prohibited transaction rules found under 4975. So I'm gonna read you the provisions. There's A, B, C, D, E, and F, and then we'll talk about each one of them, give some examples, and really mention some key cases to kind of unravel how these rules work. So 4975C isn't Charlie or all the prohibited transaction rules, and D isn't David really talk about the exemptions or the, the uh, workarounds. So let's start with C. CA, C1A says, a prohibited transaction means any direct or indirect sale or exchange or leasing of any property between a plan and a disqualified person. So let's take a step back. So what plan we know is an IRA or a retirement plan, HSA, Coverdale, 401k, 403. So what's a disqualified person? Well, a disqualified person under 4975E2 is essentially the IRA owner, since the owner is a fiduciary of their account because they make investment decisions. And essentially any lineal descendants, parents, children, spouse, daughter-in-law, son-in-law, any entities controlled by such persons, 50% or more, as well as some relationships where you own 50% or more of an entity and you're engaging with either a highly compensated employee or a 10% shareholder. Those are the main categories of disqualified persons. So if you are transacting with a cousin, aunt, uncle, neighbor, friend, stepchild, brother, sister, you are okay. You are not in the prohibited transaction world. Why? You don't have the two parties. You need the plan and a disqualified person. If you don't have a disqualified person, you're home free. You're not subject to the prohibited transaction rules. So the first thing to always consider when examining whether a transaction is subject to these rules is, do you have a disqualified person directly or indirectly benefiting? Taking a step further, the way I like to look at the prohibited transaction rules is this, or is as follows. The IRA needs to be the exclusive 
beneficiary of the investment. So all the benefits derived from the investment need to be exclusively derived by the IRA. So when you're looking at a transaction, who is benefiting? If you buy Apple stock with your IRA and it goes up, your IRA is exclusively benefiting. Adam Bergman is not $1 richer if my Apple stock goes from 200 to 400. You may be saying, well, you are richer. What are you talking about? Your IRA is going up. That's you. You are richer. The answer is no, because that money is not in my pocket. Indirectly, maybe I'm richer, but only on paper, because the next day the Apple stock can drop until I take that distribution and put that money in my pocket. Adam Bergman is not one cent richer. So that's really how you need to look at these perimeter transactions. When you're looking at a potential transaction, you need to investigate and consider who is benefiting. As long as a disqualified person is not in any way directly or indirectly involved or benefiting, you're probably good. So let's go through the rules again. It's 4975C1A, now that we know what a disqualified person is. Sale or exchange or leasing of any property between a plan and a disqualified person. So I sell a house for in my IRA to my kids. Clearly trouble, right? I have an IRA and a plan and I got a disqualified person, children, I'm done. I screwed up. Let's look at B, lending of money or ex other extension of credit between a plan and a disqualified person. Well, my IRA lends my parents money. I'm in trouble, right? I have the plan and my parents are disqualified person. What about you have a mortgage and you want to use your IRA to personally guarantee that mortgage? You got a problem too because you have yourself and you have a retirement account that's going to benefit you. So again, anytime you or a lineal descendant or an entity you control is on one side of the transaction and on the other side you have a retirement account, you need to be cautious of these rules. Now, you may be saying, well, what are you talking about? I own Tesla in an IRA, and I also own it personally. I'm not triggering these rules. You're right, you're not, okay? And we'll get there to D, E, and F. So 4975C1D says, transfer to or use by or for the benefit of a disqualified person of the income or assets of a plan. So that's, again, a scenario where you are using your IRA funds in some way to transfer or benefit to a disqualified person. So somehow you're taking the rental income from your real estate in your IRA and paying your child as the manager of that property. Again, you have two parties. You got the disqualified person and the IRA. It's gonna be a problem. Now we're getting to 4975 CE and F where more of the catch-all. These are more of the self-dealing conflict of interest catch-alls that tax court and the IRS uses to nail a lot of prohibited transactions. E, act by a disqualified person who is a fiduciary, whereby he deals with the income or assets of a plan in his own interest or for his own account. So here you are your, in charge of your IRA and somehow you are paying yourself a fee to manage the investments, okay? Or you're, you're buying real estate and you are going to B, 
be the agent on the real estate deal and you're earning a fee. So here we have a disqualified person who's a fiduciary, so you, and you are somehow benefiting from the IRA investment. Okay, so this is a situation where um, some courts and the IRS will use as a um, basically a catch-all. So let's let's talk about a case, Rollins v. Commissioner. It's a real case that came up. This guy, Mr. Rollins, is was a CPA, okay, and he had some business interest in some privately held businesses. He owned less than. 25%, so he owned less than 50%. So it wasn't even a disqualified entity on its face. The companies needed money. He sent some money from his 401k to his businesses. He was not an employee, just a director. The IRS argued prohibited transaction. Um, he, Rollins said, hey, it's not a prohibited transaction. It's a good loan. It's a good investment for my retirement account. I'm getting interest, I'm paying, the businesses are paying back, I own less than 50% of the business, this is a good transaction. What did the tax court say? The tax court said no. IRS, you win. Mr. Rollins could not prove that the loan from his 401k to the business did not indirectly help him. And again, the onus is always on the taxpayer, which is another risk and another concern when doing prohibited transaction is that the burden falls on you as the IRA owner. So the court said the exclusive benefit needs to be derived by the retirement account here. Yes, the 401k received interest back, which is great, but the exclusive benefit did not derive to the retirement account because Rollins, the individual disqualified person, also benefited because without the investment, he may have lost his personal investment into these businesses. So I always use Rollins as an example. I think it's a great case to really showcase the intent of these rules and what the IRS is going after. They do not want you making IRA investments in any way that directly or indirectly personally benefits you, your lineal descendants, or any entity you control. Okay, let's talk about F. Receipt of any consideration for his own personal account by any disqualified person who is a fiduciary from any party in dealing with the plan in connection with the transaction involving the income or assets of the plan. Okay, again, so you have a situation where let's say you want a job and the employer says, okay, Adam, you can have the job, but you have to invest $100,000 in the business. And you say, well, okay, I'll invest my IRA in the business in order to secure the job. So here you have a situation where there's a conflict of interest where the investment is not being done to exclusively benefit the retirement account holder, but it's also being done to help the individual, in this case, to secure a job. So all in all, remember, when looking at these rules, if there's any indirect or direct, or direct benefit by the IRA owner or disqualified person, you need to pause, you need to think about the risks. Now let's get back to the example of Tesla. So you may be saying, Adam, I own Tesla stock with an IRA. I own it individually. Shouldn't I be in trouble? Well, number one, no. Tesla is not a disqualified entity, right? You don't own 50% of Tesla. Even Elon Musk, I don't think, owns 50% of Tesla. So on its face, the entity is not disqualified. So now we got to look at D, E, and F, which are more of the catch-all provisions. Could the investment in any way be defined as 
indirectly or directly helping you out individually by owning shares in Tesla? Well, probably not, unless you're maybe the CFO or maybe Elon Musk's kids or wife. Other than that, it's going to be very hard to show there's any indirect benefit. And I think the concept is if you are investing in a public company or a widely held investment, 100 plus shareholders or investors, I don't think you have much to worry about unless you are the principal manager of that investment. The prohibited transaction rules could be an issue when you are dealing with a closely uh, held entity, less than 100 shareholders, investment funds, private businesses, where the principals have more control. So you, you need to be cautious and you need to ask these questions and always comes down to two things. Do you have an IRA or 401k involved? If so, okay. Is there a disqualified person involved? If so, now are there any control issues? Does that disqualified person have control? Do they own more than 50%? If they own less than 50%, do you have any self-dealing or conflicts of interest? Think in your head, Rollins. If the IRS knocks on your door and says, okay, Adam, prove to me that you did this IRA or 401k investment to exclusively benefit your IRA and you, Adam Bergman, did not in any way, even 1% personally benefit this transaction. If you cannot defend the transaction, don't do it because the onus will fall on you. You have the responsibility to prove the transaction is not prohibitive. So think about these rules. They're fun. Um, I think you can play a lot of um, you know interesting scenarios. Be cautious because if you do trigger these rules, you're going to blow up your IRA tax high penalties. So be cautious, work with tax advisors, work with firms that understand these rules. These are the most important rules that govern how your retirement account will invest in alternative assets. So, you know, I was a tax lawyer for 10 years. I have a master's in taxation. These rules are fun, but they also can be complex. So don't be shy, ask questions, talk to your advisors, talk to the IRA self-directed firms you're working with, be, better be safe than sorry. It's better to stop a transaction before you engage in one. It is much harder to unravel a prohibitive transaction once it occurs. So thanks for your listening. Thanks for um, you know being interested in these subjects. I am super passionate about them. I believe in the power of alternative assets. Um, so just be um, you know cautious of these rules. Thanks for your support. Thanks. Um, for um, you know, giving me the um, you know support to keep going and um, you know subscribe if you haven't already, like it and um, you know look forward to doing the next one soon. Until next time, thanks for listening.